Your DNA is the blueprint for everything in your body. It has all of the instructions needed to make you a person. Most of that information is arranged into genes. Every gene does a different thing. Angelman syndrome is caused when there is a problem with one of the genes in a particular region of your DNA. Every day, 18 people worldwide are born with Angelman syndrome, with around 350 cases in Ireland. It affects boys and girls equally, and it is present in all nationalities, races, and ethnic groups. Can you show me where the word mammy is? Show me where the word mammy is. Mum. Good girl. And show me where the word daddy is. Daddy. Children with angel man syndrome can't talk. Lots of them can't walk. They don't sleep properly. Sometimes they only sleep for three or four hours a night. Some children have seizures that they can die from. Do it again. Get back. Oh, get back. <laughs> People with Angelman syndrome have great smiles and warm personalities. What do you want, Liv? What do you want? This is sellotape. We were playing with sellotape for century the last day, weren't we? And we had great fun with it. Right? Does that want some? Ashleen Cullen from Downings in Donegal has the only identical set of twins in the country with a condition called Angelman syndrome. I'm Ashling. I'm mum to six boys. Aaron, who's 22. Ross, who's 11. Ethan, who's 10. Callum, who's 7. And Luke and Zach, who are 5. It's busy. As you can imagine, with six boys in the house, all at different ages and levels and stages. It's just all go. I have to keep the boys out of the kitchen, mainly for their own safety. I'm here in the kitchen them at the moment and they're just pulling and grabbing. I have double stair gates, one on top of the other, because that can get over the first one. They, they're just busy and they just pull and grab and when there's two of them at separate directions. Look, ah, good boy. What do you want, then? What do you want? Um... Sarah Rorty is another mother living with Angelman syndrome. Sarah, her partner Paul Byrne, and their daughters Abby and Clara live in Chewham in County Galway. Who's your friends in school? Abby. School. Neve. Neve is your friend. Amy. School news. It was Queen's birthday today. We had a party. Love. Sarah is finding innovative ways to use technology to help Clara speak. Well, Clara is 10. You know, she's still that wonderful child that she always was. She's really, you know, a very happy person, great personality, really warm personality, loves people. But really, she's a great inspiration to me. I mean, she's obviously, as I mentioned, she's not able to speak. And, you know, what I really, really like about her most is her determination and her persistence to communicate. I made pizza in school today. I liked it. Wow, you love pizza. It's your favourite. Clara has an iPad and Clara uses that to help her talk. Food. 
snack. Chocolate. Oh, you want some chocolate, do you? Okay, you can have a little bit when we're finished. How about that? Tell me what you like for dinner. Tell me what you like for dinner. Breakfast. Nutella. You want Nutella? (laughs) There is another little girl with Angelman syndrome very far away, who Clara, Luke and Zach don't know, but who could be very important for all children with the condition. (laughs) You trying to talk? You trying to talk? Uh, You doing your O's? My name's Debbie Brackey, and I'm the mother of Molly Brackey, and she's seven years old, and she has Angelman syndrome. The characteristics that Molly has is unsteady gait. She still walks kind of wobbly, not real wobbly, but a little, just not perfect. When she does take try and take a drink of something with a cup, her hands shake really bad. She is still nonverbal. She'll babble. She'll go, oh, 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 oh. And she'll pretend to pull bubbles with her mouth and everything. There is hope that these problems that Molly has could improve. It's early 2012 and she is about to embark on a drug trial in Florida with Dr. Edwin Weber, who is a professor at the University of South Florida. He's hoping that trials with a drug called minocycline, involving mice, could be translated into helping children with Angelman syndrome. Uh, so I'm the primary investigator on a clinical trial that is looking at the effects of minocycline, a common tetracycline that's used for acne uh, for many, many years uh, for the treatment of Angelman syndrome. Um, the mouse model was actually created uh, over 10 years ago. The mouse model recapitulates very nicely what we see in the human condition, and that works very nicely to try to understand what's happening in the brains of the mice so we can understand what's happening in the brains of the children. So using this kind of mouse model, what we've done is we've started to look at FDA-approved drugs to see if they had an effect, um, if they would have an effect on the cognitive ability of the mice, on the motor coordination, seizure, all the things that we see with the kids with with AS. And what we found was that minocycline when we gave it to the mice for three weeks, uh, the mice did better in their tests. So we can see that their learning and memory have improved. Uh, their motor coordination, which is, is really poor in kids with AS, also improved. Um, and then we can actually look at how well the, the nerves in the brain communicate with each other. And that communication also increased. So this was enough for us to push forward a clinical trial and say, if we gave kids with minocycline, uh, uh, with AS minocycline for a number of weeks, would that increase uh, their cognitive ability, increase their motor coordination ability, and help with their seizure? Over the next 12 months, we follow the progress of the trials as these three families wait and hope. 200 families apply to be part of the trials, and Debbie's daughter Molly has been chosen to be one of 24 children trying out this new drug that could give all parents of children with Angelman syndrome hope. When Molly was chosen, I mean, I was very happy. I, was, I wasn't scared at all. I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Molly, Molly was chosen. I was just, I cried. I cried and cried. March 2012, Tampa, Florida. Dr. Weber begins clinical trials with 24 children, including Molly, using minocycline to treat cognition and motor function. 
If the trials are successful, Molly, Luke, Zach and Clara may be able to walk, talk and communicate better. There is no reason not to do it. I mean, the minocycline, the drug that they used, there's no major side effects to it. Um, the biggest side effect is their teeth can get tainted because all minocycline is just an antibiotic. So people use it now to help with their complexion. I mean, it helps treat acne. Where's Callum? He's in there? Do you say good morning, Callum? You going to give him a hug this morning? Every morning when they're up, we go down and we call the boys for school. And they love that, going into the room and jumping on top of their brothers, Ross, Ethan or Callum, to wake them up, to get the know. And I say, come on, we're waking up the boys, going to school. Off they go. Um. Are you talking? Um. Um. Do you want the television? Um. Um. Uh, what do you want, Pam? Um. 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 Some more milk? Uh, Spoon. Uh, I'm finding this now, this morning, they're trying to tell me what they want, and I, I'm guessing. But it's the same routine every morning, so... I'm presuming that it's either a drink or milk at this stage. Check your banana. Um, your banana? Um, I take your bowl back, put your bowl on your table. Bowl on your table. Good boy, look. Although a baby is born with Angelman syndrome, it's not immediately obvious that they have it. And it's such a rare condition that sometimes it can take a while to be diagnosed. I had a wonderful pregnancy, a healthy pregnancy. I wasn't sick. I was fine. There was no signs then that anything was wrong. I had the two most happiest babies when the boys were young. Once we got into a proper routine, they fed, slept, and then about 12 weeks, Luke would start bringing up lots of mouthfuls and it would take maybe an hour to feed them the bottle at that stage. But by four months, they stopped sleeping during the day, so they never napped at all during the day. And maybe at night time, they would have slept maybe six hours and you would feed them, and they might go back asleep. They were always bad sleepers, but all of my children were bad sleepers, so I still didn't think anything of it at the time. And then at nine months, you have a checkup with your nurse, and she wasn't happy at that stage. They weren't doing things that babies should do at nine months, but I still didn't put anything to it, because having other children, and from my experience, they all develop at different stages. And no two kids are the same. So I wasn't worried. So then by 12 months, they still weren't sitting up. They didn't have their pincer grasp. I still was thinking, oh, this is a twin thing, which everybody was saying to me. Twins are lazy and twins are this. So I really wasn't worried. But the twins were being tested and a new term was about to enter Ashlyn's life. Angelman syndrome. I had never heard of this. They were about 18 months 20 months of the time. I'd never heard of it. So I came back home and it was just all doom and gloom, what I was reading. It was just so negative. And I researched and I looked and I looked and I researched. But when the test came back, maybe 12 weeks later, it was negative. So I was delighted. And they went on then to have further testing. So the paediatrician then just didn't know where he was going. So he said, well, we're going to have to send you to Dublin up to a geneticist. And we went in September 10. To Dublin and she was just lovely and she said right guys um, I'm going to retest for Angelman syndrome and out of all of them 
it was angel man syndrome that I didn't want it to be. So in December, I'll never forget, it was about the 16th of December, my mobile phone goes, so I pull in and it was the geneticist. And she said, oh, Ashling, um, I've been ringing your home, but you're not in. Uh, I'll ring you back again. And I said, no, I'm, it's OK, I'm, I've pulled in. You know, you can just, we can talk here. She said, are you on your own? And I said, I am. I said, I've got the twins with me. I said, but I'm on my own. And she said, right, OK, I'll ring you at a better time. And I knew then there was something. So I said to the geneticist, I said, no, you have to tell me now. I said, I've waited long enough. I said, Look, just please tell me. And at that stage, it was just Luke that was tested. So she says, yes, it's been confirmed Luke has Angelman syndrome. I mean, they were like two words. It's like it was my worst fear, both my worst nightmare, like to hear those two words. Most people have never heard of Angelman syndrome and there was no support for any of the Irish families living with it. Sarah Rorty decided to do something about it. She set up Angelman Syndrome Ireland in 2011. Oh, there was absolutely no support at all, at all. When I left the paediatrician's office that day with two words, Angelman Syndrome, and all I had was a list of medical, condi- uh, medical symptoms and a phone number in England. It was, you know, a very, very stressful time. And also because it's more about what you don't know at that time. And I suppose your mind runs wild then just with, with the lack of knowledge and with that gap of information. So, and, you know, I suppose that's one of the reasons why we felt we had to set up this organisation so that no parent would have to go through what we did at that time. There needed to be some support group there. There needed to be some literature out in the hospitals and at the doctors whereby a parent could understand exactly what it meant for their child but also give them that little bit of hope and support in, in the journey they were about to embark on. Hands up, who wants a banana? Me. 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 Life expectancy for people with Angelman syndrome is normal but they need lifelong care. One of the main characteristics of Angelman syndrome is seizures, which can be difficult to treat and may be life-threatening. So when somebody's having a seizure, it's the most—it's very distressing for the onlookers. I mean, the person themselves probably doesn't know what don't know what they're going through, but you just feel so helpless, and you know you just have to be there for the person and and just really support them while they're having that seizure. And when they come out of it, unfortunately, particularly with Angelman syndrome, some people actually lose skills. So. We would have seen, for for example, when Clara would have had a seizure and coming out of that, then her ability to use a spoon to feed herself, you know, was, was less than what it had been. But the wonderful thing is, you know, they gain those skills again, but it takes a long while. So for a skill that's been so hard earned and then for seizures to kick in and maybe take away that again, it's it's very distressing. That's why these trials into the new drug are so important to parents of children with Angelman syndrome and why Debbie has put Molly forward for the trials. I wanted her to be able to talk. I'm like sitting here and my mind's thinking, oh my gosh, if they can go ahead and if they can find a therapeutic cure, what will she be able to do? Will she be able to feed herself? Will she be able to be potty trained? Um, Will she start sleeping through the night? Will she be able to say mama for her first time, you know. Well, we've already started the clinical trial. Uh, It started last month at the end of April. Well, I think whenever there's a clinical trial, you always have concerns about any drug that's going into a patient population that there's not a lot known about. 
Angelman syndrome is a, a very rare disorder, so we don't have a huge population to draw from. Uh, we were we were concerned that you know any drug getting put into a child you don't really know what the effect is so that's given me and my team a lot of angst but the, since the clinical trial has started we've seen no ill effects there's been no reports of, of having any bad side effects so we're continuing on with the clinical trial and hoping for the best there were 24 children that were randomly selected to participate in the trial that was from all over the world two children per week would go to Tampa, Florida. It was a two-day, two days at the hospital, but they were like two half days. So every eight weeks when you go down, you do the exact same thing. You have your blood drawn, you meet, you have your EEG done, you meet with the neurologist, and you meet with the psychiatrist. They give you a bottle with the pill in it. So they say, you know what, you can start it right now, you can start it when you fly home, whatever you're more comfortable with. To be honest, what did we do? We went back to the hotel and we had dinner, and we gave Molly the pill. So we gave it to her right away. And she was on it for eight weeks, off for eight weeks. So they only gave us enough supply for the eight weeks. Then when you're done, so your third eight weeks, you're done. Trial's over. You've completed your, pro- your part of the program. He looks good. He looks good. Um, you do. Now Debbie and the other parents just have to wait for the results to come back and be collated. I'm just getting hands up. Other hand up. Luke and Zach just love screw. They go out the door every morning squealing and they come home every evening squealing. They're so happy. Back in Donegal, it's early morning. And Ashleen is getting up to the challenging job of getting her twins through the business of day-to-day life. It's Bannock here every morning trying to get them out. Can, can you go and get your uniform on, please? Yeah, Monday morning. Uniforms. No, it's not even. Happy Mondays in this house. When you have kids, you, like, you have dreams for your kids. and This, this would be a big G area. And I was God imagine now because there's only so many years between the kids that I would have in years to come five of them playing on the senior senior football team and and it's not that you wish their life away and you can't wait till they're during this stage or they're all running about together or they're all heading off to the beach together. But you do have dreams for them, like and you can you have visions and you can see but this was Going to be different, like. Good morning, how are you? Ashlyn's twins go to the Little Angel School in Letterkenny for children with special needs. Happy, we're all back together again. My name is Claire O'Connor and I'm the special needs teacher here in Little Angel School. Luke is a very energetic, happy, confident young boy who um, lights up our classroom with his smiles. And hugs. He's a great boy. Everybody loves him. Everybody loves the two of them. You know, they're real characters. I think he's very mischievous and <laughs> very outgoing. Um, he loves a joke and loves playing tricks on people and, and playing jokes on people, so he really gets that. And um, he just likes to have a good time. You know, he's all about the fun. What's the weather today? What's the weather today? Is it cloudy, cloudy, windy, or rainy? What is the weather today?
While Luke, Zach and Clara continue on with their daily lives, over in America, Molly Brocky has finished her part of the trials. When they go through the trial, I would say the only thing that was difficult was the EEG. Just because they have to restrain them. When we first went down there for the first eight weeks, the hardest part is they said that they wanted to poo-poo some, which means that they'll go ahead and take a blanket and they completely wrap it around them so that they cannot kick and they can't frill their arms or do anything. Well, Molly did not like that. So for the first 30 minutes of the EEG, Molly screamed and cried and kept trying to pull her leads off of her head. So it was harder. Um, And then we learned, you know what, maybe if she wasn't confined so much, she would be okay with it. So the second eight weeks when we went down and we did her EEG, we said, you know what, let's just not do anything. And I laid right next to her and Molly laid there, no problem whatsoever. If you notice any difference in your child at all, you were supposed to mark it. If you didn't see any difference in your child, you put zero. If you saw regression, you put what you saw regressed. And you had to do it every day. At the end of the trial, you turned your book in. And then they put the book and they collected all the books. And then they'll go ahead and they'll just read them, not knowing what kid is what, and see so they can see a pattern if things helped or if they didn't help and how how things helped or how long it took for such child to do something or not do something compared to the other child. So we just, it was just a log that you carried with you everywhere. Like many other parents coping with a child with special needs, Ashleen has to keep life as normal as she can for the rest of the family. Now for dinner tonight, we're having pasta and sauce. With garlic bread. And listen to the silence. That's when you know the twins are really enjoying the food. There are four other boys in Ashleen's family who don't have Angelman syndrome, but they live with it every day. Tomorrow morning at half nine, the Sam McGuire is coming to our school and I'm going to be holding it by myself. <laughs> no, you're not. Ross and Ethan would have known the boys would have been going to the hospital for tests because there was something wrong and they didn't know what it was or we didn't know what it was and we wanted to find out. I sat them down after, I'd say maybe a couple of months afterwards and explained to them what Angel Man Syndrome was. But I explained it in my terms that they probably, at this stage the boys were using walking frames and there would have been a lot of hair pulling and biting, behavioural issues with them. But I didn't realise this was part of the syndrome as well. I'm Ross and I'm 11. I'm Kel, I am 7. The book and like, like given <coughs> lots of cuddles because I don't really know. Because they, they, they like it, they know you like it. They, if you play with them a lot of time, they, they sit down and play with you. But what about when they pull your hair? That's how they don't hit you. That's how they talk. That's how they, that's how they get our attention. But do you get upset? Not really, no. Not only sometimes if it hurts. Because I know they didn't really mean it. The, the, if the boys want to, if you don't listen, they slap you sometimes. 
Do you think that's hard for them trying to communicate? Yeah. Not really, because they never. It'd be harder if they had learned to communicate and then they couldn't communicate anymore. If you never had something, you'll never miss it. All parents deal with it in their own way, and Ashleen has been able to lean on her husband, Frank. Luke and Jack are just happy-go-lucky boys. They're easy-going and they're... They're what they are. I had, it was grand for me. I, I, I take things as they come, and we sort of half knew it was going to happen anyway when it did happen. I was more concerned about how Ashleen was going to react to it than anything else, because I knew she was struggling with it even before they were diagnosed so I was more concerned with her than whatever happens will happen that's my motto in life and whatever will happen in the future will happen and that'll be that I don't worry about things like that I'd be an emotional person, a big softy and I would get upset quite a lot thinking about them and Frank wasn't but I Maybe get upset talking now. But Frank was really keeping it together. And I used to, not that I'd say anything to him, but I just felt that he wasn't feeling the pain that I was feeling. So one day I just got so mad with him and I said, you know, why, you know, why do you not feel the way I feel? You're just carrying on as if nothing. I said, everything has changed in our lives. Like, you're just carrying on as if nothing. Then he got upset. But I didn't know that he was keeping it together for me. He was being the strong one in the relationship, like, because he could see how upset I was all the time. But he was feeling it. But I mean, Frank is my rock. He's the strong one in the relationship. And even with the boys being the way they are, he is so hands-on, like, he's great. November 2012, and Sarah is optimistic that there will be news from America soon. It's now November 2012, and the clinical trials in the US are coming to a close. So a very exciting time for all of us involved with Angelman syndrome. So the next step for the researchers is to collate their data and hopefully present or publish that around the February timeframe. They're looking to see how that could potentially help somebody with Angelman syndrome and help to treat some of the symptoms around cognition, around epilepsy, around motor function. So again, you know, the fact that even people are beginning to look at those treatments is hugely inspiring. It's hugely hopeful for us. So we're, we're really looking forward to February. Personally, I don't think Angelman syndrome will be cured, but I do think whatever they find is going to help either in the sleep pattern or help with their seizures or help with their communication, but it's not going to cure it 100%. But I don't even want to get myself up onto that level where then I'm let down. I don't think, think much about the results or I don't let myself think much about the result that's going to be out early next year. Because I just don't want to have my hopes up. Well, I hope that the, the, something might happen with these, the trials that the people are doing now at the minute and that ones might get to the stage where they could actually communicate. Because I think communication with them is their biggest problem. They get frustrated, they get upset, because we can't... We can't... If they're looking for something and we generally we generally can know what they're looking for but there's a lot of the time we don't and they get 
they get frustrated and uh, if they could communicate I think things would be so much easier for them and for us so if we could sort that that would be number one goal apart from that they are what they are and I'm happy enough February 2013 and the results haven't been released yet there's no scientific evidence, but already Molly's teacher, Sarah Taylor, thinks she has noticed some exciting changes. The biggest changes that I've seen in Molly since the trial are her ability to communicate, her independence, and her inquisitiveness. She used to have some level of communication um, with just smiling for if we asked her, do you want this? Or she would turn away her head away or push away something that she didn't want. But now she is taking our hands and guiding us to what she wants. And she's engaging in a lot of vocal play, um, making all kinds of sounds. And um, so that's the biggest thing. And that I think that's going to be the thing that affects her life the most um, is her ability to communicate more. Molly was never able to climb up and into a chair that was higher than, you know, her legs. And one day we were outside and I turn around and I look and Molly's sitting on the bench. And I asked my assistant, did you put Molly on the bench? And she said, no. And I said, oh, she just climbed up on the bench and sat all by herself, <laughs> you know. And so the level of independence has really improved with her. The other changes that I've noticed since the trial is a steadier gait. When she first came into my classroom, she couldn't walk at all. And she gradually um, was able to move into a walker. Well, now she's walking down the hall, steady as can be, with, and swinging her arms. And I thought, you know, her gait is so much better since the trial. And I remember um, reading about what to expect from the trial, and they said that the gait was going to be one thing that was going to improve, and it certainly has. The log, we fill out every time we see her do something new, we jot it down. Or if even if we question, like, did she really say hi? <laughs> because there was a couple of times she came in, she vocalized, and it sure sounded like hi. Um, but then through the log, we were able to see, yep, she's saying hi. What Molly's teacher is seeing could be a placebo effect. She thinks Molly is improving, but in fact, there may be no change at all. It's all down to science, and the trials may prove something entirely different. Perhaps the drug didn't work at all. I hope, just like when I hoped at the beginning um, with Molly being part of the trial, my biggest thing is vocalization. Because I think without that, I mean, Molly's going to be, she's going to struggle the rest of her life. So I hope from the end of the trials, I hope when I'm able to read the report that they're going to be able to say, yes, this was, this did work. This is where we're going to go with it now. Um, maybe, you know, increase the dosage, try a different, something different, keep them on longer. Um, I mean, I'm very hopeful that things are going to work out. I'm very hopeful that they will. And I think that they're on to something, and I can't wait to hear what it's going to be. But I just have a good feeling about this whole trial. We tend to have a bath every second night. Don't we look? Zach. It's simple bath. Quite content to here for hours playing with their toys. Their favorite toys is 
Water bottles. <laughs> Bath time is a special time for lots of young families, but it's extra special in Ashleen's house. It's very common for children with Angelman syndrome to have a fascination with water. Well, as parents, in every house, I'm sure there's a there's always a good cop, bad cop. I'd say I'm the good cop, Frank. What do you think? No, definitely. <laughs> you have to deal with all the with all the problems, but I mean the boys are not bad. A lot of the time, it's just they're just messing and they're too loud, and because they're loud, they upset the twins, and that causes friction in the house. And we have to deal with stuff like that there. But in general, there isn't that many problems in the house, so we must be good at what we're doing. I don't know. <laughs> Do we get much time on our own? Yeah. If we don't get into, we don't get any time on our own. Very, very seldom. If the twins are away in respite, we might get out for a meal or something like that there. But ninety percent of the time, there's somebody looking for attention somewhere. And at night time, then Ashley's normally off to bed because she's wrecked. And we try to make as much time as we can, but it's just difficult. It's simple as that. Ashleen and Frank are still waiting anxiously for any news on the trials that could make their lives easier. So it's the seventh of June, and we still haven't heard any results from the trials that would, which happened in America. I thought at this stage they would have released some information, whether there was positive or negative results, but still we haven't heard anything. I know it takes time to compile results and everything, but just it's the waiting game. It's it's like a child waiting for Christmas. You know, it's ahead, but you just can't wait. You're waiting every day to see if there's any information going to come through. I just don't understand what the problem seems to be. Why they keep telling us they're going to release them and then they don't release them. and It's just beginning to get frustrating now at this stage because if there's something out there that can help the boys, I would like to be able to move forward on it rather than just sit here waiting and waiting for somebody to tell you yes or no. Although we were told we'd hear some word in the springtime and it's the middle of the summer now and we've still had nothing, so... Hope's a big word in my life and, yes, hope that this therapeutic drug will work. Of course I will be hopeful. We'll just wait and see what the results bring. As I said, I check Facebook every day just waiting for the results and I'm sure there's hundreds of other parents like me as well. It's over a year since the trial started, and despite hopes that there would be official results by now, the scientific results have to be really thorough, and it is hoped it will be the end of 2013 before results are released. They go to bed most nights at 8 o'clock, and the same, we try to stick to the same routine. Just before bedtime, about half seven, we'll sing songs or they'll play with my iPhone. I have downloaded some apps that are suitable for them, and... They love that. Uh, 
It's coming to the end of the day in Donegal. A big feature of life with Angelman syndrome is sleep, or lack of it. It's difficult for parents trying to function on three or four hours of sleep a night. Listen, listen. Uh, the boys need melatonin. <laughs> to put them, they get melatonin every night. Two milligrams of melatonin, which helps them go to sleep. Sleep wouldn't be one of the better things in this house. <laughs> because looking like a 24-7, it's tough. And then the hardest part of their syndrome for me is the lack of sleep or their lack of sleep. I just feel that when I'm tired, I my patience with the other kids when I'm doing homework, I'm just tired. I'm tired all the time. I am in bed most nights by nine o'clock. I just don't know when, what time the boys are going to start their day. I hope... the boys as they get older that their sleep patterns change and they sleep better from what I hear from other parents there's some kids sleeping all night I hope I wouldn't know what to do with myself two nights in a row full sleep that would be great <laughs> don't really look too far into the future you just don't know what's, what's around the corner what's coming next so I tend not to think about what's coming next. I tend to deal with what we have to deal with here and now. Ashling, I think, worries about the future enough for both of us. So I don't, she was looking stuff up and she was worrying about this and worrying about that. And I tend to just have the time that we have with them now. And I would worry about what's going to happen to them when we're gone. But at the same time, I'm sure there's, there'll be something that'll be put in place when the time comes, you know, so. I just carry on with what, what happens from day to day and I worry about the next hurdle when it appears. And every so often, and I mean every so often, every six, seven months, just this day will pop out of nowhere and I have a bad day. But Luke and Zach, because they're so loving and endearing and full of fun, I snap back out of it just as quick as it comes. You know, if I do get upset, they come over and they give you the biggest hug and they're kissing you and that's all I need. Good night, everybody. Give me a kiss. <laughs> kiss. <laughs> do a kiss is all right. Good night, Zach. Good night.